0: It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. You know, sometimes we just have to slow down, back up, focus on something that was done or said, perhaps over the weekend perhaps last week, and challenge it. And I want to start the program that way. Joy Reid has free reign to say some of the most disgusting, outrageous, racist, bigoted things, because the media today do not monitor themselves. It's really quite incredible. She's America's bigot. She's America's racist, as far as I'm concerned. Now, she was on with uh, Salon last week, which is a radical left Marxist operation in and of itself. And she said something that I want to address for once. Somebody has to address it. It'll be me. Cut 17, go. Go. And to find out that literally Barack Obama's two terms as president are your reparations and Juneteenth, which you already celebrated anyway, is your reparations. And yet you built this country. You literally physically built this country. And yet the attitude toward you from a lot of your peers and your fellow citizens is just shut up and be grateful. And it's, it's, it's infuriating. Okay, nobody's telling black people or anybody else, shut up and be grateful. I do think all American citizens of all stripes should be grateful, but it's the left that tells everybody to shut up. On college campuses, in the media, and elsewhere. But I want to get this history straight about who built America. And this is why I tell you to read The Democrat Party Hates America. I anticipated every single one of their arguments in the lead up to this election. Every one of them. But we have, in any given week, 14, 15 million listeners, and that doesn't even include the podcast and all the rest. And about four hundred to 500,000 people who've purchased this book in one form or another. So I want to inform as many people as I can. Did capitalism, number one, promote slavery? You hear this all the time, too. And was America built on the exploitation of slaves? Because that's what Joy Reid is saying. Now, this is a frequently repeated narrative of modern-day Marxists. First, of course, slavery is an undeniable fact of American history. But so are the numerous efforts to abolish it every northern state passed laws to abolish slavery in the first two decades after the Revolutionary War, either immediately or soon thereafter. In 1800, Congress passed the act prohibiting the importation of slaves, which took effect in 1808. Of course, slavery when parts of the United States persisted. And by the time of the Civil War, the overwhelming number of slaves were held in the agrarian South. But most white Southern families, did not have slaves. They were too poor to own slaves. Less than 25% of the South was wealthy enough to own slaves. Second, the North did not rely on slavery to build its industrial capacity. The North. Indeed, while factories were built all over the North and South, the vast majority of industrial manufacturing was taking place in the North. The South had almost 25% of the country's free population population, but only 10% of the country's capital in 1860. 90% of the country's capital was in the North. The North had five times the number of factories as the South, and over 10 times the number of factory workers. In addition, 90% of the nation's skilled workers were in the North. So how could the slaves in the South... When the vast majority of families in the South didn't have slaves, but for the wealthy families, had built the entire country. So by 1860, the North had over 110,000 manufacturing establishments. The South had just 18,000. The North produced 94% of the country's iron, 97% of its coal. And not incidentally, 97% of the country's firearms, all produced in the North. It contained 22,000 miles of railroad to the South's 8,500. The North outperformed the South agriculturally as well. Northerners held 75% of the country's farm acreage, produced 60% of its livestock, 67% of its corn, 81% of its wheat. All in all, they held 75% of the nation's total wealth in the North. So I point out the lesson is the exact opposite of what the American Marxist and Democrat Party preach. That is capitalism and a free people create wealth, prosperity, opportunity, and yes, colorblindness. Indeed, Nobel Prize laureate and economist, the renowned, the late Milton Friedman profoundly declined, excuse me, declared the great virtue of a free market system is that it does not care what color people are. It does not care what the religion is. It only cares whether they can produce something you want to buy. It is the most effective system we have, we have discovered, to enable people who hate one another to deal with one another and help one another. I've often given the example, it's in uh, Liberty and Tyranny. If you go to a restaurant for eggs, a diner or something like that, no matter where you are in the country, you get some eggs, you get some potatoes, some toast, some bacon, whatever. You don't have the foggiest idea who produced it, let alone what the race is and the religion is, and you don't give a damn. You could care less. That's Milton Friedman's point. Obviously, slavery is unacceptable. It's unconscionable. There's no excusing it, but capitalism didn't drive slavery. Slavery has existed and exists today, Throughout the world and in non-capitalist societies, as Peter W. Wood, president of the National Association of Scholars, explains, slavery was not an American invention or a European one. It has existed in human societies for thousands of years. In North and East Africa, slave capture and trading were pursued on an enormous scale by Arabs. When Europeans encountered native kingdoms on Africa's Atlantic coast in the 15th century, they discovered slavery as a deeply embedded practice. That the Portuguese and the Spanish focused, uh, excuse me, fostered this practice by creating a market for African slaves in the New World is among the great tragedies of human history. Other European powers eventually joined in perpetuating that tragedy. Perhaps someone should inform Hannah Jones, that is, Nicole Hannah Jones, and other American Marxists, that the greatest slave states that exist today do so under the banner of Marxism. And what of post-Civil War America? Again, the accusation is that capitalism and American economic growth had been nurtured by racial discrimination and racial inequality. That is, capitalism intersected, quote-unquote, with slavery and racism, this, I call this, by the way, civil rights Marxism, a term that I've coined. It is argued that racial capitalism is based on the theft, exclusion, and exploitation of people of color for the economic benefit of white people. In short, white supremacy is what undergirds America's economic system and its history. Hmm. Let's see, I skip ahead here. And then they lie about why they think that's the case. And that, of course, is part of the problem. The lesson is the exact opposite. Bear with me. Looking for a place marked, and I have one eye closed. Here we are. Coleman Hughes, great guy, caught Ibrahim Kendi, Mr. CRT, in several questionable assertions and even big whoppers when Kendi made similar claims about white privilege and capitalism, Hughes explained as follow. Kendi correctly notes that blacks are more likely than whites to die of prostate cancer and breast cancer, but does not include the fact that blacks are less likely than whites to die of esophageal cancer, lung cancer, skin cancer, and ovarian cancer, bladder cancer, brain cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and leukemia. Of course, It should not be a a competition over which race is more likely to die of which disease. But that's precisely the point. By selectively citing data that shows blacks suffering more than whites, Kendi turns what should be a unifying, race-neutral battleground. Namely, humanity's fight against deadly diseases into yet another proxy battle in his war about racism. Hughes further notes that when Kendi asserts that, quote, Black unemployment rate has been at least twice as high as the white unemployment rate for the last 50 years because of the conjoined twins of racism and capitalism. Why limit the analysis to the past 50 years? Hughes cites a Pew Research article that shows the black-white unemployment gap was small or non-existent before 1940, when America was arguably more capitalist and certainly more racist. Moreover... Alan Berube of the Liberal Brookings Institute examined recent census information and found that although there is an income gap between whites and blacks, he writes from 2013 to 2018, most major metropolitan areas registered and estimated increases in black and median house income that exceeded those for white households. As an example, in Phoenix, the typical black households income rose 29 percent. From just under 40,000 to more than 51,000 a year compared to 12% increase for the typical white household family from 63 grand to 71 grand. Across the 20 metropolitan areas with the largest black populations where sample sizes are larger, 15 registered a larger estimated rise in median black income than median white income. So he says there's a gap, but black income is growing significantly faster than white income. Now, why am I doing this? To push against civil rights, Marxism, and the joy reads of the world. Because if I don't do this, it's not going to get done anywhere. And there's more. Although the Bureau of the Census on household income, that is household income inequality, showed that in 2017, the bottom 20% of households had an average income of 13258 other data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that these same households spent $26,000, twice as much as they had on consumption, two times more than their income. Households in the second 20% income group spent 11% more than their census income. The census also reports that the top 20% of households had average income of 220000 but spent 116000 So what is this? Welfare. Food stamps, subsidies of all kinds, and not just for minorities, for all people in that income. So income in itself, is his point, doesn't explain what's taking place in society. Income by itself does not explain what's taking place in society when you have this massive, massive redistribution of wealth taking place. He says, looked another way, a comprehensive study conducted by Just Facts concluded that after accounting for all income, I got it, all income, charity, and non-cash welfare benefits, like subsidized housing and food stamps, the poorest 20% of Americans consume more goods and services than the national averages for all poor people in the most affluent countries. Mark Levin. that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer... Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. You know, it's not just Hunter Biden who's a crook. Joe Biden is the mob boss, obviously. He knows a hell of a lot more than he pretends not to know, even when he had his wits. The idea that there isn't a special counsel specifically appointed to investigate the financial dealings of Joe Biden and his family is a disgrace. There was a long report in Politico. Politico is very left-wing, but every now and then it's knee-jerks, and it says, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're supposed to be a news operation. And so it did, in this occasion. A piece by Ben Schreckinger. And we're going to take a little bit of time on this, because I want to show you how the Biden family doesn't give a damn about anybody, even the sick. Even people who need and use hospitals. But these stories can't be hit in five minutes and then not understand them. By the way, there are things going on at the U.N. I'm going to talk about in other matters as well. But first things first. In 2017, a hospital operator set out to build a rural healthcare empire with the help of a Philadelphia area consultant. That consultant, Joe Biden's little brother, Jim Biden, who had no experience whatsoever running hospitals. But he did understand the federal government and its ties to labor unions. Perhaps more important, he was the younger brother of Joe Biden. So let's stop there. Joe Biden uses labor unions, too. His EV policies are going to destroy jobs, assembly line jobs, cars being built for gasoline. He pretends otherwise. And of course, his brother's involved. Everyone's going to get involved. Joe Biden, Jim Biden, Jim Biden's wife, Hunter Biden. The final years of the Obama administration had cemented the former vice president's towering stature in the world of health care, where he had made the fight against cancer a top federal priority. So did Richard Nixon, by the way, but here we are. And then a centerpiece of his legacy-building efforts. <clears throat> For then 67-year-old Jim Biden, the third of four Biden siblings, his ties to his older brother made up much of his pitch as he pursued deals that could help AmeriCorps, that was the company, Make money from drug rehab, lab testing, even cancer treatment. So you can see Hunter throws his dad's name around, and his dad knows it. Jim, little brother, throws his dad's name around, and Joe knows it too. This would be a perfect platform to expose my brother's team to your protocol, Jim Biden wrote to the CEO of a Tampa area company that controlled licensing rights to an experimental cancer treatment the hospital operator wanted to offer could provide a great opportunity for some real exposure by his brother, is what he means. The email obtained by Politico from a person close to the company documents one of the many ways in which Jim Biden invoked his brother's name and clout in the course of his work with AmeriCorps, which has since gone bankrupt, wreaking havoc in rural communities in the process. So here's another Biden family member Using his brother's name and clout, using labor unions, and he destroyed much of rural hospital care, or as Politico puts it, wreaking havoc in rural communities in the process. Jim Biden spoke of plans to give his brother equity in AmeriCorps, according to one former AmeriCorps executive, and install him on its board, according to a second. Can somebody tell me why Jim Biden hasn't been indicted and how Joe Biden just keeps skating? Well, of course, if you understand Biden, look at Putin. He also said that if AmeriCorps could find a winning business model for rural health care, his brother, that would be Joe, could promote the company in a future presidential campaign. A third former executive told Politico. All were granted anonymity to discuss a company mired in legal and political controversy. In order to fund AmeriCorps expansion, Jim Biden offered to secure capital from investors in the Middle East. You understand? One of the reasons Joe Biden is trying to destroy Israel. You got countries like Qatar, they're just throwing money everywhere. Why wouldn't they throw it at a Biden, by the way? According to the emails and executives, when the expected money didn't arrive, it aggravated AmeriCorps pre-existing financial issues. The company collapsed leaving behind unpaid bills and neglected patients. The management failures took a human toll as hospital staff went unpaid, services dwindled, and authorities were forced to intervene. Bidenomics At AmeriCorps Hospital in southeastern Kentucky, ravaged by staff departures and dwindling medical supplies, a patient died of cardiac arrest in late 2018 after receiving substandard care. Four years after its bankruptcy, federal investigators are still pursuing questions about what else happened at AmeriCorps. This past September, the SEC accused one of Jim Biden's business partners of fraud related to loans to the company. Allegations the business partners denied. I don't see any charges here, allegations against Jim. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice found that AmeriCorps Hospital in Pennsylvania entered into sham service agreements and paid kickbacks. As part of a scheme that billed the government for medically unnecessary lab tests, the hospital shipped out to be performed elsewhere. You know the Bynes have never made an honest buck, ever? Ever. Hunter, Jim, the rest of them, they are leeches on the government. They've become wealthy. Wealthy. Using daddy. And of course, daddy doesn't know anything. And even if he were charged, he's too much of an imbecile to be held accountable. You, You know how it goes. Now, these actions are at the center of a federal prosecution of 100 million conspiracy fraud, Medicare that has netted a guilty plea from the recipient of the KIPAX, and according to a person familiar with the case, remains ongoing. Now, House Republicans pursuing an impeachment inquiry focused on the relationship between the president and his relative's business dealings have also homed in on AmeriCorps. The House Oversight Committee is set to interview Jim Biden on February 21. By my calculation, that's tomorrow. As part of the inquiry, have you heard any of this on any other media platform? Seriously. I'm not talking about talk radio, anything outside of talk radio? As the layers of activity that occurred in and around America are peeled back in a federal prosecution in Pennsylvania, a bankruptcy court in Kentucky, intense witness interviews on Capitol Hill, a political investigation, renders the most detailed picture to date of the ways in which Joe Biden's relatives leveraged his public stature to advance a private business venture. They were all in on it. The investigation based on public records, court filings, dozens of interviews, hundreds of exclusively obtained internal documents, reveals that Jim Biden, Joe's little brother, his role at AmeriCorps was larger than previously reported. In some internal documents and investor materials, his name is included among its top handful of leaders. He also helped the company seal regulatory approval to acquire the Pennsylvania Hospital and personally fired AmeriCorps' chief financial officer, according to the emails obtained by Politico. So he had a very active hand in what was going on. The investigation also reveals that Joe Biden's name and inner circle were more involved with the company than has been understood. Joe Biden's name? Mr. Biden, his name? Oh, Joe Biden. No, no, just his name. In addition to the accounts provided by former executives, Investor Materials described Jim Biden as an advisor to his older brother. Ooh. And on top of Joe Biden's own previously reported encounter with the firm's CEO, wow, at least three of Joe Biden's relatives did work with AmeriCorps. They include Jim Biden's wife, Sarah, his son, Jamie, the president's son, Hunter Biden. There you go. Also met with its CEO and his personal doctor, current White House physician, Kevin O'Connor. Joined a meeting with Jim Biden and the president of a hospital being acquired by AmeriCorps, according to a former exec and emails obtained by Politico. So again, we stop. So the doctor at the White House. Joe Biden's current physician, Kevin O'Connor. He was involved in a meeting involving AmeriCorps, Joe Biden's brother, Joe Biden's son, Joe Biden's sister-in-law, but Joe Biden doesn't know a damn thing. You believe that, America? It's like uh, Fannie Wills using the cash. We all use cash. That's what black people do. Did you know that? Most black people don't know that. While the extent to which Joe Biden's relatives have invoked their ties to him to advance their business careers has been a subject of ongoing controversy. the documents obtained by Politico demonstrate that Joe Biden was a central element of Jim Biden's to potential uh, pitch to potential partners and investors during this period. None of these Biden family members would answer specific questions related to AmeriCorps. The White House didn't respond to detailed questions for comment. He's only the president. Jim Biden has not been accused of criminal wrongdoing, as attorney Paul Fishman said in a statement he conducted himself ethically and honorably in all his business dealings. Well, if he did, he's the first Biden to ever do so. A spokesman for Jim Biden declined to answer detailed follow-up questions, writing, We are not able to participate in this story at this time. Why? Now, Politico's investigation, of course, did not find that Joe Biden involved himself in the firm or took actions on its behalf. Why did you subpoena records? No. None of that's been done. However, Joe Biden did benefit indirectly from his brother's work with the firm. Listen to this one. On the same day, Jim Biden received a $200,000 payment from AmeriCorps. He made a check out for his brother, Joe. The same day, he made a check to brother Joe. So what does the White House say about this? The White House has said the check was for repayment of a loan, but did not respond to questions about the circumstances of the loan, including whether Joe Biden was aware of his brother's income from AmeriCorps. Got that? Otherwise, Joe Biden remained on the sidelines as his name and relatives became intertwined with a company That was pitched as a vehicle for his legacy, but stands accused of defrauding taxpayers instead. That is, his brother does. Let me ask you a question. If we have a president or a vice president with all this stuff swirling around him. And he claims he doesn't know about it. Is that believable to you? Everybody has their hand in the till. His brother, his son, his sister-in-law, this one. And Joe knows nothing. Now we know that's a lie. Just like they're running around telling us, Joe is completely mentally fit to be a rocket scientist and a brain surgeon. In fact, he can do his own brain surgery, just like he can do his own proctological exam. Otherwise, Joe Biden remained on the sidelines. Quote, I was was, uh, told, there's a misspelling, I was told that AmeriCorps It was going to be the Salvation of Rural hospitals," said one of the former executives. The whole thing was a scam and didn't take that long to figure it out. Scam? Wait, wait. Jim Biden's involved in a scam? Hunter Biden was involved in a scam with Burisma? Scams. The Biden family, again, doesn't know how to earn an earnest buck. And it goes on at some length. Mississippi, what took place there. The Biden brand. How important that was, and all of the uh, misdeeds, and and the uh, sleazy doings, and so forth. Uh, It's really quite disgusting, and it's quite lengthy, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can. Uh, We will have it posted on MarkLevinShow.com, the mothership of websites, where we put all the articles we reference. Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Our friends at the Free Beacon, our buddy Adam Credo, they have a story out there. There was money spent at the notorious Department of State. Money literally spent to create negative impressions of the state of Israel. Our money. And as the reporting went, this was a widely accepted view at the Department of State. As it turns out, as Credo points out, that's not correct. There were objections to this. Antony Blinken is everything that John McCain said he is. He called him dangerous. He said that people have died as a result of his ideology. Remember, I told you what Biden is all about, but Blinken's different. Blinken is a self-hating Jew. He is a traitor. He brought in Robert Malley, who negotiated for our side, theoretically, on nuclear weapons, when he brought in a rat's nest of what some are calling spies, who are back-channeling information to the office of the foreign minister in Iran. Now, that seems to me to be worthy of a massive documentary, a massive news event, but it's not. And that's Blinken, who takes his orders from Thomas Friedman, who's another self-hating Jew. I can't do a psychological analysis on these unhinged ideologues, but it is grotesque. All right, just responding here. Looks like the circle of traitors at the White House is growing. Phony Admiral Kirby admiral hey i'm a four-star general um he's the national security spokesman isn't he like uh should think him a different title since uh, he always opposes our national security they say that an israeli attack on rafa would be a disaster They want Hamas to survive, America. How can you go to war like this, fight like the Israelis have? Do you know their economy has shrunk by twenty percent? Twenty percent, because the whole country is fighting the war, because it's a tiny country with a small population. They have their enemies surrounded, and I've 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 made the parallel before. That's like surrounding Hitler in a bunker in Berlin and being told there'll be too many casualties get out but tell me did the russians tell the germans to get out so we can limit the number of casualties no but that's what the israelis are doing with the palestinians there they're trying to get them out before they attack the leadership no army's ever done this in world history and yet The circle of traitors, that's what I'm going to call them. The circle of traitors is growing in the Biden administration. And they are exposing themselves as a circle of traitors and anti-Semites. I don't know how else you can put it. It's not a policy disagreement. That's a life and death struggle. And this is the same mindset, America, that has our border wide open with terrorists walking in and Criminals walking in and drugs being moved in and all kinds of slavery going on. And MSNBC says nothing. And CNN says nothing. Nothing. The White House warned against and is warned against a military operation in Gaza, the AP reported, claiming any misstep in potential operations. And we all know it's a military operation. These things happen. And the densely populated city of Rafa would be a disaster. National security spokes idiot, traitor, John Kirby, said Israel needed to take into account the safety of Palestinian refugees. What the hell do you think they're doing, you schmuck? Did you take into account the safety of our soldiers when you surrendered in Afghanistan? And by the way, as I'm the only one who keeps saying, where the hell are the, American, the Americans who were left behind in Afghanistan? It's like it never happened. And they never talk about the American hostages that Hamas has or is murdered and raped. The IDF recently rescued two hostages kidnapped on October 7 by Hamas from captivity in Rafah. They don't care. Biden could care less. Biden's trying to put his main political opponent in prison, he's trying to win the vote. Of American Islamists. What else explains it? And of course. His right hand. Traitor. Blinken's the perfect guy. We've been warned about this creep. Over and over again. Warned about him. But over at the State Department. They have their priorities. It's destroy Israel. Give funds to. Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, the the Houthis are now sinking ships. Sinking ships. There's nothing up there in the UN. They're not talking about the Houthis and Iran. They're not talking about what Iran's doing. No, it's Israel. Get, Get to Israel. It's Israel. It used to be as Peoria goes, so goes the nation. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? Richard Nixon used to say, if it sells in Peoria, it'll sell anywhere. Now we substitute Peoria with Dearborn, Michigan, Ebornistan. Rather than listening to Middle America, Peoria, Illinois, I don't even know if, what's going on there, but now it's Deborn, Michigan, Dearborn, Michigan. That determines national policy. What do you think of that, America? also apparently determines Israeli policy. I've never seen a free country treated this way. I've never seen a minority treated this way. I've never seen an indigenous peoples treated this way. Ever. But you have that sleazeball Biden who comes into the Senate, he's a punk, he's 30 years old, and he throws in with James Eastland. He throws in with Stennis. He throws in with Byrd. He throws in with Talmadge. you never heard of these names, have you? Well, the people in West Virginia, Mississippi, and Georgia know exactly what I'm talking about. These were segregationists. He throws in with them. He does not want the public schools integrated. Now, by the way, He went to a parochial school. His kids went to a parochial school. His kids were never in danger of anything. But I want the black community to understand this. This is who this guy is. I want the Jewish community to understand. I want the Asian community to understand that he sent his damn Justice Department into the Supreme Court to defend North Carolina and Harvard, which were intentionally... Discriminating against racism, Asian American students who qualified on merit to go to Harvard, but Harvard decided there were too many, too many of those Asians, you know. Too many of those Asians, just like Harvard decided in the 20s, and there are too many of those Jews, you know. Harvard has never been an enlightened a place. But Biden has had his finger in every major act of racism and anti Semitism during his lifetime why Menachem Begin pointed right at him at a hearing in the Senate when Biden was threatening him, you know, we give you the money, and he didn't take any crap from him. As is Netanyahu. But think about it. They have a two-front war going on now, one with their enemy in the Middle East and one with the United States administration. If Israel agrees to what Biden is demanding and now trying to put pressure on them through a coalition of Arab states, a coalition of European states. Now he goes to Russia and China in the Security Council who are more than happy to accommodate Biden, the anti-Semite. Oh, I voted against what they were proposing because, you know, I've always supported Israel. I love the Jews, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, me and the Jews. We get along great. Yeah, yeah. I actually know a few Jews. You know, it's very good. I have them all around me. You have self haters around you, you jerk. And we don't need lectures from Kirby. We don't need lectures from Kirby. Another schmuck sits there, propagandist. I hear people say, but he dresses well. He's got, oh, I hate this gravitas. He's there. He's not her. You know, he's not the spokes idiot lady. He's the spokes. Guy's the Admiral Kirby. Stop with your b s This guy is a slick propagandist for the Islamists and Marxists in our government and throughout the country. Admiral Have you ever googled his background in America? Google his ad- Google how he became an admiral. Google it., Whew, I tell you that. And over there at the Department of Justice, excuse me, Department of State, there's a memo that was put in, National Review has now exposed this, and it comes from the Secretary of State. When speaking, avoid using phrases like brave men and women on the front lines. Use more specific language, such as brave first responders. Those of you who've had the wisdom during this election cycle, to read The Democrat Party Hates America. As you know, there's an entire chapter on mind control, on thought control, on how totalitarians work. It's chapter four. And I go, I take a deep dive into what totalitarian regimes have done, what people who survived them have said about them, other people wind up going along. How do they vote for these people? Read chapter four. Read chapter four. If you really want an answer to the question, it's right there in exquisite detail. Don't use words that actually describe the truth. Brave men and women on the front lines because you're excluding people who've transitioned on the front lines, of which there must be tens of thousands, right? It's really quite disgusting, the whole damn thing. Mark Lovin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. You know, what's interesting is uh, Rush used to call it an echo chamber. Things that we say here often do wind up into the broader narrative. Despite the fact that you have individuals who claim that they thought these things up or whatever, it's okay. This whole Eighth Amendment issue, which I'll explain again because things can get complicated. But over the weekend, a, a buddy of mine for how many years now? Wow, 44 years. 43 years. I started out in the Reagan administration almost right after law school when I was 23. This gentleman and I, Arthur Ferguson, we met each other in the Reagan administration, became fast friends and have been for decades. I'm a constitutionalist, he's a constitutionalist. So I contacted him over the weekend and I said, look, what they've done to Trump here has violated his constitutional rights and we've got to hone in on exactly which right it violated because you can't throw a 60-yard pass, it's got to be something that's substantive And something that can, in fact, be applied to the law and the fact patterns in the case with Letitia James and the fraudulent judge. So we went back and forth to some extent. And we fell on the Eighth Amendment. Now, why did we do that? Again, we went back and forth. And I said to Arthur, you need to write this up. First of all, I don't have time. But you need to write this up. Nice short piece. I'll send it over to Fox Digital, uh, which is where he wanted it to appear. And there were a lot of law professors. Steve Calabrese, a brilliant guy who I also worked with at the Justice Department. And Jonathan Turley was also brilliant at George Washington Law School. They're very, very good men, but I thought they were missing the mark. This isn't in any respect to put down. People are trying to figure out how to to address what's taking place here. So Arthur's piece focused on the Eighth Amendment. Why the Eighth Amendment? Most people don't even read the Eighth Amendment. But this is what I do. And when I ask my friends, this is what they do. Craig Bannister over at CNS News, he got it right. President Trump has an Eighth Amendment challenge to the unconstitutional fines levied against him by a rogue judge, constitutional scholar Mark Levin noted Tuesday, commenting on the extraordinary $370 million fine with interest imposed by a New York judge. Later that day, former President Trump posted the text of the Eighth Amendment on True Social Platform, later linking the to the same article linked by Levin in his comment posted on X, formerly Twitter. The text of the Eighth Amendment, this aspect is quite simple. Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Now, let me stop there. Why do you think the Constitution has this Eighth Amendment among its Bill of Rights? As you know, the Bill of Rights were added after the Constitution was ratified as a promise to the state legislatures and conventions that the new national government would circle back and address some of the concerns the states had and the states were going to vote against the Constitution without the assurances. And so these ten amendments are amendments that were basically demanded by the states Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Why would the states want this? Because hundreds and hundreds of years ago, this is exactly what the English monarchy did to people it was trying to destroy opponents of the crown. The crown needed money. Uh, the crown wanted to punish people who spoke out against the crown. And on and on and on they would use an attack on their private property to shut them up or destroy them. That's why private property rights were so crucial when this nation was founded, among other reasons. Your private property, your home, your cars, whatever, what does that represent? Just some theory about capitalism? No, much more than that. What does capitalism represent? They represent this, America. How many of you work for a living? How many of you have worked but are now retired? Did you get up in the morning and go to work and come back at night? Did you do it five days a week? Did you work one job, two jobs? Did you spend 20, 30, 40 years on the job? It represents your freedom, that is, your application of your time on earth, physical and intellectual application of your humanity, of your time on earth towards the production of something for which you are compensated. It's a unique skill or not a unique skill. We only have a limited amount of time on this earth. That's why James Madison talked about private property more broadly than actual physical, tangible property. He said you have private property in your being, in your existence. And what he meant by that is, people do not have the right to impose illegitimate illegitimate demands on you. Government does not have that right. So when you work work hard and you purchase a home and you pay a mortgage every month, that represents your freedom, your liberty. That represents your humanity. Nobody gave it to you. You did this with your time, with your sweat, with your blood, with your tears, with your sacrifice and your family sacrifice day in and day out. You did this. So when some potentate... Whether it's a king or an attorney general in New York steps in and says, I'm taking it from you. Under the mirage or cover of a never used statute. And from a radical judge, both elected Democrats, the attorney general said she was going to get Trump and she uses this statute. That is an attack on your liberty. It is an attack on or in the humanity. That's not about doing justice. That's the opposite. Remember what we talked about, Bastiat, last night? That is using the law to commit a crime against an individual and their property rights and their freedom. And then self righteously claim that you're, inf- you're uh, enforcing the law. When you're committing a crime that that is camouflaged by the law and you're used to the law, that's why there's an eighth amendment to the Constitution. Because the men who wrote the Constitution and later the Bill of Rights were well aware of what happened in Britain. They're well aware of what happens with a centralized power. The Eighth Amendment is rarely talked about, for a lot of reasons. Among the most important is that the media, academia, law professors, most of whom are socialists slash Marxists, only want you to be aware of it. Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Now they've used the Eighth Amendment to try and protect people on death row, particularly if they're younger and so forth, excessive punishments. But in twenty eighteen, a case was brought by by a man who had some drug paraphernalia in his Land Rover. The drugs and the drug paraphernalia amounted to about $1,200. So what happened was he was punished. It was brought to court. But they confiscated his Range Rover, which was worth $42,000. They, effectively, the state, the town, And this occurred in Indiana. And so, it's called the Timbs case, T-I-M-B-S. The opinion was issued in 2019. He brought the case in 2018. So it's a very recent Supreme Court case, United States. So the district court agreed that that part of the penalty was excessive under the Eighth Amendment. The appellate court in Indiana agreed that that part of the Eighth Amendment was excessive. The Supreme Court of Indiana said, no, it's not excessive. And by the way, the Eighth Amendment doesn't even apply. It's a federal matter. The Bill of Rights, it's a federal matter. It's not incorporated to apply to the states under the 14th Amendment. Now, as a footnote, when you look at the Bill of Rights, the Bill of Rights, the first eight, the ninth and tenth part, have nothing to do with the states. It's all about protecting you from this new national government. But over the course of many decades, the Supreme Court has slowly applied, incorporated, it's called incorporation doctrine, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Third, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, to the states. But what about the Eighth? What about Cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. What about excessive fines imposed in particular? The Supreme Court ruled that the taking of Mr. Tim's Range Rover, in addition to the other penalties, over a $1,200 criminal act, was an excessive fine under the Eighth Amendment. It ruled further the Eighth Amendment does, in fact, apply to the states by way of the Fourteenth Amendment Due Process Clause, and that's what they use to incorporate the other parts of the Bill of Rights, the Due Process Clause of the Fourteenth Amendment. Therefore, and if you read the Fourteenth Amendment, you see a lot of the Fifth Amendment. Therefore, the court ruled 9-0 to zero with two, not objectors, But two additional opinions by Justices uh, Gorsuch and Thomas. But in the end, it was nine to zero that that was excessive. And in fact, the Eighth Amendment does apply in this regard to the states. It's always applied in terms of the imprisonment and so forth. But in this regard, excessive fines imposed, it also applies to the states. That was the ruling in 2019. When President Trump was cited, uh, excuse me, was uh, interviewed the other night, a great interview, I thought, he did a fantastic job, he raised the Eighth Amendment, and the uh, response was, but that's a state issue, this issue of fines and penalties. But under the Tim's decision in 2019, it's not merely a state issue. In fact, the Eighth Amendment in terms of excessive fines and penalties, does apply to states. Now, I want to go a, foot, a step further. Yes, this is a constitutional law class, but it's in plain English. But I want you to learn more about this, because it's very, very important, and I'm hoping the president's lawyers pursue this. After I posted the article from my friend Arthur, President Trump retweeted it, and he also had tweeted a text of the language of the eighth amendment mark levin. we're giving you nothing but the best the best of mark levin food prices something we will talk about energy prices you're well aware of what's taking place there but i want to discuss a bigger issue Joe Biden has said now for almost three years that the border is secure. So have a sycophants. They've said it to Congress on God knows how many times they've said it to the public through the media. They've said it from the White House. And we have it all. They've said this for years. Then they say we had a bipartisan bill, and we needed that bill to secure the border. It'll make it more secure than ever before. And Without that bill, Biden cannot on his own secure the border. Now, this was a complete screw-up by Mitch McConnell, who gave the Democrats an out, and this guy Lankford, and all the other reprobates in the Senate, that is the Republican Rhinos. They gave them a talking point to run on. The genius McConnell. But that's not my point. My point is, they said this was the end-all and the be-all. This new bill would actually secure the border after telling us for years the border was secure. Despite us knowing it wasn't. Now they're trying a third thing. They've said, look, I can't, says Biden, on my own secure the border. I need the legislation. So we've gone from the border secure, I need the legislation to secure the border because I can't act on my own and now today word it is the white house is planning several unilateral measures to at least give the appearance of trying to secure the border is this what you want from your government this is okay the endless lying and let me tell you something the reason Biden will take a trip to meet billionaires in California is because he knows that if he can raise hundreds and hundreds, maybe even a billion dollars, and that's possible, to run for president, he will overwhelm a Trump, he will overwhelm talk radio, he will overwhelm Fox, he will overwhelm the few independent conservative platforms that are out there, and they know. They know from the 1930s and they know from totalitarianism of all kinds in the past and even today that the big lie, repeated often enough, becomes, in effect, the truth. None in reality, in effect. And so that's what he's planning to do. He's planning to run for office from the basement. I suspect he won't want to entertain a single debate. They'll say, well, Trump didn't debate in the primaries. What does one have to do with the other? You're running for president now. Not to be the nominee for president. Nothing, but it won't matter. That's what they'll do. And then they'll have these ads speak for Biden, as well as the surrogates. And they'll just keep lying. That Joe Biden, despite the fact that the Republicans wouldn't go along, despite the fact that we had the best border bill ever, they wouldn't vote on it. They wouldn't vote on it. So I, Joe Biden, historically... I'm a historic figure. I had, to, I had to act on my own. And that's what I did. And I'll have his mouthpieces in the media MSLSD, the Communist News Network, and all the rest. I'll have them to give him cover, the Praetorian Guard. Just like he announced that inflation is over. The Inflation Reduction Act wasn't even about inflation. It was about climate change and economic socialism. Massive redistribution of wealth, massive government takeover of the private sector, massive, you know, societal engineering, said to be, you know, climate, uh, uh, inflation controlling. And then we get one report, oh, inflation's back. And then we get another one, no, it's back. It's not away, it hasn't gone the little burps here and there but it hasn't gone, it's going to get worse because all that money's floating around looking for a place to land and there's nowhere for it to land so this whole thing about the Praetorian Guard the free media he'll have the free media plus $100 billion worth of paid media you know my wife and I, Julie, were talking the other night and this is very very important I don't care what the polls say. I don't care. And then we get people relying on the polls. Look at the polls are great. Folks, I'm worried. The RNC's bankrupt. It's been run into the ground. That's why I did not support the re-election of the RNC chair. But she was re-elected, unfortunately. They have no money. Trump's money is being drained as a result of this litigation. That's all intentional. You've got Democrat billionaires with these massive political action committees. You have Republican billionaires who are sitting on the sidelines for the most part. Picking their noses. Listening to Paul Ryan. Who's become an absolute embarrassment. So they're beating us on money and not even close. Not even close. They have 99.9% of the free media. Their groups are well organized. They're Democrat secretaries of state, Democrat-controlled legislatures, Democrat-controlled governors. They're going all over their election laws, seeing what they can tweak or what they can change. in the best effort they can make to ensure that Joe Biden wins, you've got state Supreme Courts that are controlled by Democrats that are going to change the, the congressional seats and the legislative seats. You don't have Republican Supreme Courts doing this. You don't even hear of any. So the Democrats are still playing with brass knuckles, as they did in 2016, as they did in 2020, as they did in 2022, and they're doing it now. And we have... An inept Republican leader in the Senate. The guy is a complete disaster. A complete disaster. And he won't step down. In the House, where the action is, we've got so many agendas flying in so many different directions, it's difficult to know what the hell they're going to achieve. The courts... When we have Republicans in the courts, they don't do what Democrats do in the courts. They wouldn't even take up two major constitutional election cases out of Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court, last time around. That needed to be addressed. I'm not trying to throw a wet blanket out there. I am banging the pots and pans. This is a call for attention. Because this is alarming to me that people are now wanting and hoping. Look at the polls. Don't don't look at the polls. The polls don't reflect what's going to go on on the ground. There was a seat in New York that we lost. The Santos seat. And just to show you how imbecilic the Republicans are, they expel this guy. And the so-called Republican moderates are behind it. This guy Lawler and others... We can't have that. We're Republicans. Meanwhile, the Senate Menendez is there. They can't get rid of Menendez. It's 51-49. That means anybody gets sick on the Democrat side, they don't control the majority. So Menendez sits there. Well, he's actually indicted on God knows how many charges again. And there's no pressure. Schumer's under no pressure to remove him or to expel him. But the Republicans expel Santos. I have no... Special brief for this guy Santos. He's a reprobate. That's not my point. They play hardball politics. We don't play hardball politics. We never have. It is grotesque. One side does. The other side does not. Joe Biden is the leading president of all time on censorship. He's the leading president of all time on violating immigration laws and having an open border. He's the leading president of all time sabotaging our own energy independence internally, domestically. Which means empowering Russia, empowering Iran, and empowering the other third world reprobates. He's the leading president in American history to actually support terrorist organizations with funding. In Iran, Hamas, the Houthis, Hezbollah, in effect, that's what he's done, that's what he's doing. Now, here's the problem. Don't you think, Mr. Producer, we should be leading this guy by 10 percent? These national polls, and I know national polls are different. You know, we have elections by states and in states, not national polls. And the polls, as I said, should mostly be ignored. And this is why. One percent, two percent difference. There's no nothing built in there for Democrat Party fraud. That's what they do all the time, fraud. Cook County, Texas. Other places notorious for voter fraud. Why not voter fraud here? We had the cleanest election in world history in 2020. Had to listen to these idiots. What I'm saying is now is not the time to sit on our laurels. If you were going to become involved, get involved. Don't rely on other people. Or we're going to lose. You should have your own plan. Whether it's to talk to 10 or 20 people you know. Whether if you're able, obviously, to make a contribution of some sort. There are a thousand of different things you can do. The question is whether anybody's doing any of it.